This is for reals. Yes, that's a Nacho Libre reference for those of you who know what I'm talking about. For reals. Let's face it, everybody's looking for authenticity. Everybody. I've never met anybody who would prefer fake over real. Never. Like, not once. Authentic means worthy of acceptance, based on fact, conforming to an original so as to reproduce essential features. I like that one. Not false or an imitation. Authentic. For real. Or as Escalato says, for reals. Am I really in love? Remember the first time you thought you perhaps had fallen in love? Remember how old you were? I know we all thought it at like 14, 15, but I mean like for real. Am I in love? Am I really in love? How about when you started following Jesus? Do you ever find yourself asking yourself the question, am I really following Jesus? Like, is, is this for real? Let's go back to the love thing. How do you know if you're really in love? How will I know? Back to Jesus. How will I know if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good? I use that terminology frequently here at Grace. That many, many people would taste and see that the Lord is good. But how do you know when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do you ever wonder? Is this for real? Is my faith authentic? Is this love for real? Am I really in love? How will I know? I know a few things about love. I've been married 21 years. Still deeply in love with my wife. And it's fun to preach a sermon like this 21 years into a marriage. It's not as easy when you're 24 and just married. What do you know? Not much. In my opinion, you know you're in love once selflessness begins showing up as your default setting. You know you're in love once selflessness showing up as your default setting. You start doing crazy things for your partner that you would never have done before and you would never do for anybody else. Like buying flowers. Do you remember the first time you went to buy flowers for someone? Maybe you don't remember. Maybe it's just me and I'm a hyper-emotional person. But I, I sat outside that flower shop for 20 minutes psyching myself up. I was freaked out. I had no idea what to do. I had no idea what was good and what wasn't. I ended up spending 50 bucks on flowers because I was an idiot. I wonder if they teach you in, like, florist school, like, watch for the young dude. That's the first and only time you'll be able to get that sucker, for real. It's terrible. Like, there are certain places that are kind of kryptonite for dudes. Now, I'm not talking all men. I'm just talking dudes, right? Not all men are dudes, but some men are dudes, and I'm a dude. And so some places are like, I don't want to go in there. There's stores in the mall where even now my sons are like, oh, and they just kind of avert their eyes. And I understand. Twice a year, a dude has to go into that store. Birthday and Valentine's, you're like, no joke this year, I actually went and left. 
because I couldn't do it. You know, I was like, whoo, all right, I could do this. Flower shop's kind of like that. It's like kryptonite to a dude. You don't know what to do. It kind of smells funny, right? You know, I prefer the smell of lumber and sailboats. I'm like, it smells weird in here. And then sometimes flowers lead to fancy restaurants. Remember the first time you went to a fancy restaurant? Hated it. (laughs) These fussy waiters, like, good evening, sir. I'm like, bro, I'm 20. (laughs) You look at the menu, you can't understand anything. Foie gross? Yeah. Nobody got that reference. Foie gras, I think. Still gross. You got like 17 utensils. You don't know which one to use. She tell, You start from the outside and work your way in. Great. So before the internet. Now I guess you go on a tutorial. Say, I'm about to take her out to a fancy restaurant. What do I do? They can help. There's probably a vlog somewhere. Dinner goes well. You may get to go out dancing. Also, dude kryptonite. Seriously, I never met a dude who likes dancing. I've met men who like dancing, and I understand that, and I respect you in your danciness, but it's not for me. First time I saw my wife dance was with my friend, not me. I was like, he was dancing with his wife and my wife, because I was like, I'm Pentecostal, man. I, don't, I, I can do the Pentecostal two-step. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Right, enough already. <laughs> but you put some hip-hop music on anyway. Dancing, Lord help me. Then you got to dress up. You got to look nice. You don't own anything nice. Like you wear sweats every day of your life. Got to go out and buy something nice. Lord have mercy. The relationship continues. Eventually you'll have to start cleaning your sink. I didn't even know sinks were meant to be clean. That's crazy. Then one day she'll ask you, you know, the toilet seat. Could you, you know, maybe lift it? So you're like, all right, I could lift it. Then you get a follow-up request. Maybe you could like put it down afterwards. I'm like, now I gotta lift it and put it back. Remember, this is the mind of a dude you're dealing with here. It's that's tough, man. That's like an equation. Lift it, put it back down. I might need some help here. You're gonna be asked to reduce your carb intake. Dudes don't even know what a carb intake is. You're like, is that a manifold? It sounds like it's part of the exhaust system. No, I'm talking about starches. Starch, what is starch? You, you clean with, no, anyway, you got to reduce your carb intake. You got to watch you've got mail. That's no fun. You got to hang out with a crazy uncle. You know the crazy uncle who drinks Molson X and wants to talk about the Leafs and you don't like beer and you don't watch hockey. You want to talk about theology and Jesus and you're like, this beer is disgusting, Okay. And he never seems to get it, like, for 17 years you're drinking Molson X and talking about the Leafs. He never clues in that you don't know who Mitch Marner is. I don't know. Crazy uncle. Then you have to agree to have babies. Help me understand, Lord. Got to buy her a house, then learn to maintain the house. That's hard, right? First time you approach the Eve's trough, don't they just work? I, I have to clear them out? Trees are nice, but you see trees, you're like, now, right, as a grown man, you're like, this is going to be a bad situation. 
too many trees. I have to hire somebody to deal with this, and that's going to cost me money. You're going to be asked to change diapers and pretend you don't mind. It's cool, baby. I got it. It's cool. I'm fine. I categorically refused to change my daughter's diapers when it was extremely messy because I was like, that's about my pay grade. Now, I'm not talking to all men, mind you, just dudes. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. I can't do it. You need to help me here. Pretend I don't mind. It's fine, baby. I'm good. You'll have to talk about your feelings also. Just like, do you ever have that situation? You talk for like four minutes straight, and then you're asked to speak again. Like, I already outlined all my feelings in four minutes. So then you got to pretend, and she can tell that you're pretending, and then you're in trouble. You're like, why am I in trouble? I just talked for four minutes, which is longer than I ever talked to anybody in my life about feelings. The room smells funny because of these flowers. Your uncle's going to show up any minute. Like, I'm just trying to get it done. Help me understand. You'll know, you miserable wretch, that you're in love when some of those things start regularly showing up in your life. (laughs) And these are some of the things you can expect to start regularly showing up in your life when you are truly experiencing the life of God. For real, or also known as when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Check out 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. Feels like half of you were like, I had no idea he was so Neanderthal. <laughs> Takes all kinds, baby, I'm just saying. I'm not saying you gotta be like me. Take a look. Here's the passage. Lord willing, here's the passage. Do we have it? If not, I'll read it. Somebody holler at me when it shows up. First Peter 1 22 through 2 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So right away we see the first three things that show up when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good for real. Okay, When you're walking with Jesus for real, when you're experiencing the life of God for real, just like some of the things that we've talked about that showed up in my life when I found myself in love, These are some of the things that will show up in your life as you find yourself tasting and seeing that the Lord is good for real. In verse 22, we see the first three things. Purity, obedience to Jesus, and sincere self-giving love. Verse 22, having purified your souls. This is beautiful in the original language. In the English, it sounds like this is something we've done. You'll see in a minute that there is something that we do in response to what's been done for us. When you read it here in the English, you're like, I did something. I got out the scrub brush and I purified my soul. Having purified your souls. In the original language, it means having been consecrated. It's beautiful. Having been consecrated. This is something that was done to you. You were consecrated. To be consecrated means to be set apart. Having been set apart. Like when you fall in love. When you fall in love for real, 
you're now from that day forward set apart. You look at me, you're like, he belongs to that one. You point Nikki out. That's his wife. He belongs to her. He is set apart for her. You fall in love once and for all, for real, when done is done. You are set apart for that person. This is the genius and the beauty of Christian marriage. This is the genius and the beauty of committed, lifelong relationship. You're set apart for that person. You've been consecrated. This is something new. You used to never darken the door of a flower shop. Now you know the florist by name. Something new has happened in your life. There's a wonderful encouragement for you embedded in the text this morning. If you need something new this week, step into it. If you need newness this week, step into it. Do something new. Change a pattern. Change a habit. Do something you haven't done before. Because you have been consecrated, newness has been accomplished for you. Now you just need to walk out into it. Do something new this week. Having been purified, having been consecrated, having purified your souls, continue verse 22, by your obedience to the truth. Here's the part where you partner with God. God has set you apart, and now you obey Him by your obedience to the truth. Now, this is important to note that we're not talking about propositional truth here. Okay, there are not a secret set of claims that all real Christians subscribe to. Okay, that list does not exist. Okay, so don't worry if you're like, oh no, here comes the part where he hits us with the legalism bit. Not going to do that. Okay, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. We ought to hear the entirety of Scripture echo in our hearts and minds when we read and interact with Scripture. So we read this, we read that we're to be obedient to the truth, and we hear Scripture echoing what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are the words of Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 6, hear it again, I am the way, says Jesus, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Set-apartedness comes by obeying Jesus. Okay, you want to be consecrated, you want to walk in your set-apartedness. Learn what it means for you to obey Jesus. If you're wondering what it means to obey Jesus, thankfully it's not a list But Jesus himself did reduce all the law and the prophets down to two great commandments. You know them. If you don't know them, you will know them the longer you spend time here because it comes up almost every single week. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. As you learn to truly love God and truly love people, you will find yourself sticking out like a sore thumb. And this runs to the heart of what the book of 1 Peter is all about. It's written to Christians who are sticking out like sore thumbs because they are obeying the truth. And their sticking outness is causing them to come under persecution. Why? Because they're different. And their differentness is bothering people. Ever been a DD before? And you know that everyone kind of treats you like a second-class citizen that night. Why? Because you're set apart. You're different from them. And by nature, the fact that you are not participating in what they are doing that night, it's like a Christian in 1 Peter's time. I was like, what's wrong with you, Matt? I'm the DD. It's almost like you have a disease. Diseased David, you know? Has anyone ever done this? Is it just me? Brian has, right? Matt has. Thank you for your honesty. Like all these people are staring at a DD. I've never been a DD. 
You should be a DD more often. I don't roll with people who need DDs. You should roll with people who need DDs more often. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Don't make me angry now. Help me, Jesus. Woo, calm down. All right. <clears throat> Woosah. <clears throat> See, the thing about loving God and loving people is you can't fake it. It's impossible to fake it. Peter knows this. Having purified your soul by obedience to the truth, continuing in verse 22, for a sincere brotherly love, earnestly, from a pure heart. Oh, this is so good. From a sincere brotherly love. This is that authentic piece. Sincerity. You can't fake this. Authentic Christianity is unfakeable. That's why fake pseudo-Christian religion is so annoying. Because you go into a context where that's what's operating, and everybody knows it's fake. You're like, whatever. You ever been there? Like, you can tell. Saccharine, surfacy, fake. Obsessed with form and pomp, morality, systems, processes, and rules. People see through it, man. People see through it. But the authentic love of God, the authentic love of neighbor, that'll rock people's world every time. Only when it's real. How do we know when it's real? When you have to work at it. Hear me now, church. Earnestly and from a pure heart. You know what earnestly means? Receive it. It means outstretchedly. True love reaches. Feel me. True love reaches. You know it's real when you got to work at it. Anybody feel me out here today? You know love is real when you got to work at it. Outstretchedly, true love reaches. Sometimes to love well, you got to reach. There's my first hashtag for the day. There we go. Hashtag true love reaches. That'll preach. And we all know that to do this, we're going to need miraculous help. You might be nicer than me, but not by much. Which means we all need help. You're supposed to laugh there. That's a joke. (laughs) You need help. You need Jesus' story to change your story. You need the next three things to show up, and they do in verses 23 through 25. Let me read them for you. Verses 23 through 25. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Transformation shows up through something awesome and everlasting, which is also known as the gospel. Those are your next three things. Transformation through something awesome and everlasting, also known as the gospel. You'll know that you're really tasting and seeing that the Lord is good when your life starts transforming. Since you have been born again, you've been given new birth, new life, the second chance of all second chances in Jesus 
who being God himself, became a man, entering into space-time history, and went to the cross to suffer and die in your place for your sins. So that at the cross, in the great exchange, as C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian writers of all time puts it, his goodness might come to you, and your badness might go to him. And because he's fully God and fully man, he's big enough to do it. To suffer and die in your place for your sins. For the sins of the world once and for all. And he dies, but doesn't stay dead. On the third day, he rises again in glory, defeating the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. Which means that sin, death, and hell are crushed in your life when you come to Jesus. It means you get a second chance. You get a shot at a new life. You get a do-over. You get a new birth, all because of Jesus. And look, this transformation, if it's the real thing, is built on something awesome and everlasting. Peter speaks directly to this in the second half of verse 23 through the first half of verse 25. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Powerful reminder here from Peter. Everything we have and everything we do is subject to the law of diminishing returns. Okay? Everything we have and everything we do, we're all withering. It's just a question of pace. Can you identify? It's a question of pace. I look at my father and I see my future. I look at my sons and I see my past. I don't look as good now as I did at 24. You don't look that good. I know. (laughs) I'm fatter now than I've ever been. I need reading glasses. I got to like, anyway, I don't want to get into it. It's getting ugly. Why? Because I'm like the grass of the field and the flower of the grass. I'm withering. Hey, newsflash. So are you. So go out there tomorrow and live like it. Live tomorrow in light of the fact that you're withering. Everything you do, everything you are, is subject to the law of diminishing returns. But the Word of God remains forever. This is very good news. You know why? Because that verse does not mean this. It does not mean that the Word of God abides forever. Christians have misused this verse for centuries. But the Word of God abides forever. Therefore, if it's... Unless it's in the book. May I remind you, with love, that the book wasn't even written when 1 Peter was written. So he could not have been referring to this collection of documents before this collection of documents even existed. Which means if you ever meet a Christian who uses but the word of God abides forever as a weapon to try and argue with you, you need to remind them that they're completely out to lunch. That's not what Peter's saying. He is not saying that this document abides forever. He's saying the Word of God abides forever. Who does John teach us that the Word is? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Logos, the eternal Word of God. God's speaking. The Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. John continues later in his gospel. Jesus Christ is the Word who abides forever. 
But the word of God abides forever. Why is this very good news for you? Well, because the word of God was incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. Incarnate means to put on skin. In carne, literally in meat. Okay, the word of God became flesh for you. The word of God went to a cross and was crucified for you. The word of God, because he was the word of God, rose again from death, defeating its power for you. The word of God ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he sat down next to him and is even now interceding for you. The word of God will one day return for you with a sword proceeding from his mouth with which to slay his enemies. The Word of God abides forever, and it is the will of Him who sent me, says Jesus, that I should not lose any of all those He has given me, but that I should raise them all to life on the last day. That's Jesus speaking of Himself in John 6.39. Did you hear that this morning? Let me read it to you again. And it is the will of Him who sent me. Who sent Jesus? God the Father. Okay, it's the will of God the Father that I should not lose any of all. Every time the Bible speaks in imperatives, it's our best day. That I should not lose any of all those he has given me. You've been given to Jesus as a gift by the Father. You think your salvation depends on you? It doesn't. You have been given as an inheritance to Jesus by the Father. I mean, does this get you stoked, or am I the only theologian in the room? Whoa, I could tear my clothes right now. i got to stay calm. Woo, all right. That I will not lose any of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them all to life on the last day. You belong to Jesus, and he never loses anything. That could be another hashtag. Hashtag, he, with a capital H, never loses anything. Hashtag, including me. Hallelujah! That's when you sing, praise, praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah! Why? Because I've been given as a gift to the Son by the Father. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Because He never loses anything. That's the good news that was preached to you. The confidence that comes from that, you can expect to see that confidence regularly showing up when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good for reals. And that confidence is what's going to help you make some things stop showing up so that the one great and good and essential thing will. Let's finish with 1 Peter 2, 1-3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Five things disappear when you're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good for reals. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Five things disappear when you're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Malice disappears. Stop being evil. That's what malice is. Stop being evil. You know where evil shows up for me most consistently? In my driving habits. Somebody cuts me off. 
I go from zero to 60 faster than my car can. You ever felt so angry? You're like, I could attack that person. You don't want to be the person caught on like the YouTube video that goes viral. You've seen these videos? Fools stopping on highways, getting out, beating doors down because some dude cut in front of them. Hey, that is not just a problem. That is evil at work in the hearts of men. Okay? Stop it. Stop being evil. What we're looking for here, let's, let's make it a little clinical. We're looking for non-routine. Uh, sorry, we're looking for routine non-evilness. Okay, not like you never get evil. Because you'll always be, this one is only mostly evil. Right? It's always going to be that curse and fall embedded in your heart. I thought you said we're born again in Jesus. Yeah, we are. And even Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, was dealing with this for the rest of his life, going, I'm such a wretch. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, so we're looking for routine non-evilness. That's the goal. Malice. Deceit. Also disappears when you're tasting and seeing the Lord is good. What is deceit? It's guile. So you need to start being guileless. Okay? Guileless. You need to stop trying to play or manipulate people to get your way. Did you ever do that? This, this is one of those moments you do not want to raise your hand in church. <sighs> my kids do it. If my kids do it, it means they probably learned it from me. Practice guilelessness. Stop trying to play people. Stop trying to manipulate people to get your way. Guilelessness will start showing up as you taste and see that the Lord is good. Another one of the five things that will disappear as you taste and see that the Lord is good is hypocrisy. Okay, so please keep it real. If my opening illustration was a bit much for you, it was on purpose because I knew I was getting to this point later where I was going to say to you, keep it real and tell the truth at all times. I would be very happy for you to say to your friends, our pastor's kind of earthy, just be warned. Totally fine for secular people. They're going to come to church and feel right at home. They're like, this guy's normal. Right? Christians are all uptight. All upset. Don't be a hypocrite. Keep it real. Tell the truth. I'm never, anyway, I don't want to go back to the diaper thing. That ticked some of you off, I can tell. Hypocrisy disappears. Envy also disappears. This is super hard in our day and age. Social media where you're constantly comparing your crappy life to your friend's awesome one. Okay, you got to stop being envious. Instead, you need to have empathy. The Bible actually talks about this. It says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Practice, hashtag, empathy, not envy. Uh, uh, sorry, pause. I got to put that on me right now. Help me, Jesus. Woo! That'll preach right there. Empathy, not envy. Slander also disappears. What is slander? It's vilification, down talking. Next time you catch yourself starting to talk someone down to your own level, stop it. Grow up. That's the operative point in today's sermon. 
grow up. This is the one thing that we want to see show up as we taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to see malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander pass away. And we want to see maturity rise up in our hearts and lives. We want to grow up because, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, the truth of God's word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You know what Charles Spurgeon, probably the greatest preacher who ever lived, said about this verse? He jumps off of like newborn infants to remind us that we all have lots of room to grow. You can hashtag that. Hashtag, I have lots of room to grow. The second you start thinking you got this Christianity thing cased, you're annoying. And the less annoying you are, the easier it's going to be for more and more people from the city of Guelph and the surrounding region to taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's remember this week we all have lots of room to grow. If indeed we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Worship team, I'm done. Here comes the crescendo. Get ready. We want to grow up so we can live a pure and set-apart life. A life that obeys Jesus. A life where we sincerely give ourselves away in a love that reaches being transformed by the awesome and everlasting gospel. And as a result, living a life that is no longer subject to the law of diminishing returns. I'm not saying you have to stop doing your squats, but I'm saying that spiritually, you're going from glory to glory. Right? Though this mortal is perishing, one day this mortal will put on immortality and this corruptible will put on incorruption as you stand face to face with your Jesus. So you start living today with that in sight that your life is no longer in the truest sense subject to the law of diminishing returns because Jesus was incarnate for you. Jesus was crucified for you. Jesus rose again for you. Jesus ascended and sat down for you. Jesus is interceding for you. And one day, Jesus will return for you. So you need to be crazy confident as a result. Hear me. You need to be crazy confident as a result of everything I just said. And you need to use that confidence to kill malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander every time they show up in your life. Why? Because you're a grown-up now who knows a florist by name, dresses up nice, goes to fancy restaurants where sometimes you dance after dinner looking good and freshly shaved from a sink you cleaned after you used it that sits next to a toilet with its seat down and cleaned. And you're going to go to that restaurant and you will eat steak and broccoli without the fries before going home with her to sit down to watch You've Got mail for the 40th time in a living room you cleaned because her crazy uncle's coming over tomorrow to see your four babies in your lovely well-maintained house that kissed its diaper pail goodbye 10 years ago praise Jesus where you will spend a lovely evening talking about your feelings because now you know what it means to be in love because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good (laughs) 